hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. I am ex-Army Canada. So I was uh, an Army cadet for a long time when I, was a, when I was a teenager, and then right after high school, I joined the Armed Forces, went into the infantry, and I was... Uh, working towards becoming a marksman in the military. I, I really knew how to shoot. Uh, just leave that as that. No, seriously, I was, one time, uh, this is now I'm being a little, being a little facetious here, but um, one time I was, my son was saying, oh, Dad, I really want to learn how to shoot. And, and uh, I was right before coming here, we were th- I was going to go get my, um, my firearms license for Canada. And I went on to the website, for, and we have very strict gun control, gun laws in our country, as, as you guys do too. And uh, so I phoned up, and they said, have you ever had a, um, have you ever had a uh, gun or a firearm? Um, I said, uh, no, I've never owned one. I said, um, have, you ever had, have you ever gone hunting? I said, uh, no. I said, uh, it's like, um, not for animals. And then she just said, what? <laughs> What? It's like, I'm ex-army. So never had the need for a permit. We just had our rifles and didn't hunt animals. And she just had a good chuckle. But uh, anyways, I digress. We are going to (laughs) get, that's a freebie. We're going to start a new series today called Unstoppable. Um, I've been really excited about uh, coming into a biblical uh, series, a, a book in the Bible. And so I know I've been talking to some of you guys, and uh, you've been itching to, to dive deep into Scripture as well. This series, I think, uh, as you look at the book of Acts, it's going to ask the main question, and that's on there. The church through the book of Acts, it's unstoppable. So that every time we talk in our sermon series, you have to ask the question. Every passage that you look in the book of Acts, where's the pushback? You guys understand what pushback means. You know, as you are moving, whatever it is, you might be moving with your team in rugby, or if you're, you're moving um, and with your company, you're going to have pushback. You're going you're gonna to have people, people or things or situations that are going to push or try to stop the forward advancement of whatever it is that you're doing. We talked about having this marriage course. There is pushback against your marriage. Do you believe that? There are things, there there are situations, there's environments, there's media that are constantly bombarding us with pushback. They want to stop good growth in your marriage. And in the book of Acts, all we see is the pushback to the gospel. We read all these amazing stories. So from Acts 1, we see the, the, the disciples waiting because they were told to wait in this upper room, waiting for what? Sorry, better where, who are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. Just wait and wait. And then Acts 2, boom, it explodes. We talked about the suddenlies when we did our suddenly series. Suddenly the Holy Spirit came and there was, and I'm so glad Eleanor unpacked it last week for us. But the Pentecost, this tongues of fire, people coming out and speaking in all these other different uh, tongues, and all the people noticed the immediate pushback in Acts 2. People started looking at those guys and going, They're, they must be crazy, or they, they must be like drinking, or they must have been, there's something wrong with them, because they came out speaking in different tongues. 
And immediately the church, this group, these people started to do crazy things like sell their property and give the funds to people that were in need. They started to prophesy. They started to see healings. They saw signs and wonders. All the fruits, all the gifts were starting to to bubble up and percolate in through the church. And some of them even got some buildings. So notice that I said it's not all these buildings that started to move in power. It was you. You are the church. We just happen to have 510 Columbo by the grace of God. And after last night having a bit of a flood here and seeing the deluge and worried about our drains backing up and, and then we had some folks in here help me with cleaning up the women's toilets. I'm very thankful that we have 510 Columbo, but if this completely got destroyed, guess where we'd be? We'd probably be in Hagley Park, right? With Phil just going like, hope you can hear this. Let's go! Because you are the church. And by the grace of God, we have 510 Colombo, and we have a St. Martin's Church, and we have an Eastside Church, and we have a Levita Church, and a Majestic Church. But as we also see from the earthquake, it didn't change. It didn't stop the church. Amen? An earthquake did not stop the church. Wait a second. It didn't stop you. People became spirit-filled and started to move in all the gifts of the spirit. People gathered, shared their lives, and see more and more every day. Why? Jesus. I remember saying this to this pastor from uh, Invercargill the other day. You know how like there was a story of a, of a, a woman that was a Sunday school teacher, and she had her class full of young kids sitting on the floor in the middle of, you know, during Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher said to them, she's like, what's, uh, what's furry, uh, has a bushy tail, runs up trees and stores nuts in its mouth? So one child says, well, it's Jesus. And she goes like, what? She's like, what? It's like, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. So I want to I glibly and flippantly say, why were they meeting? Why were they experiencing the move of the Holy Spirit, the very promised Holy Spirit that Jesus said that will come, this counselor? Why is it all happening? Because of Jesus. His resurrection power. It was doing exactly what he said it would do. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, doing the exact same thing that Jesus prophesied what would happen an outpouring of his spirit for all the nations. But then something happened. So right at the tail end of Acts 7, something kind of dropped. Something was a stoppable force. As if the, the, these Jewish leaders from the Sanhedrin they was almost like they just kind of rolled up their sleeves and said, enough is enough with this Christian movement. We need to set an example to these Christians. Enough is enough. And if you look at your scripture, so if you guys have your swords, we're going to just go there right now. Hopefully you've already marked it with your ribbon. That's why, they're there. That's why you have them. Acts chapter 7. 
See, everything's all hunky-dory and rainbows and unicorns all the way up to seven. Everything's going swimmingly. And then seven, verse 54. Look at it with me, church. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. These are the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. You got to be so angry and mad to grind your teeth at someone. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, literally stopped their ears, rushing together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen being the first martyr. And the witnesses laid down their garments at who? The feet of a young man named Saul. And there they were, stoning Stephen, and they call, and he called out. So here's Stephen, he calls out. Well, hold on, John, I, I understand the idea of stoning. It's not, a, it's not a weird concept, but I want, to I want to give you a first century idea of what it was. So you would take a person, so I need a volunteer. Oh, you just got your hair done, come over here. Yeah, look at this good looking father and son, hairdos. All right, hi, say your name. Amek, huh? how you doing? Good. Okay, so, so here was Stephen inside, and, and they were grinding their teeth at him. And so what they would do in a stoning is they would just take him, not just come walk with me. They would literally pick him up, and they would take him, and if there was a big pit, they would not go push in. They would pick him up and throw him into the pit. Ready? I'm going to throw you. No, I'm just joking. Go sit down with your dad. <laughs> They threw him into the pit. So historically, Jews would do this. And, and what was said historically is, if the fall killed them, that was mercy. Yahweh was, Yahweh was being, Jehovah was being merciful to you if you died on impact. So then all of a sudden, people were going to throw the stones. But what was this text? Did you guys notice this weird text here? The laying of coats at the foot of Saul? Put your hand up if that doesn't make sense to you. Well, it did for me. I had to do extra research on it. So what would happen is, you ever, you ever get this comment where you have skin in the game? Does that, do you guys understand what that means? It's a basketball turn. So in other words, like when you have skin in the game, you, know, you have personal ownership in this game. So, you, so what that meant was they took off their outer cloak because it's hard to throw stones when you're carrying a really heavy cloak. So they took their cloak, and they went to the leader of that Sanhedrin, the, the Hebrews of Hebrews, the boss of all bosses, Saul, laid down their cloak at his feet, and it was a saying, I'm going to stone this guy. I got personal investment in this guy's death. I'm with you, Saul. Let's, let's get this guy. So they take off their garments. They throw it down, very similar to the Hosanna group, and then a couple of days later to the crucify group, right? That mob mentality just happens. And the outer garments, so here's Saul, he's got a whole bunch 
of garments. So there's a picture, I think, of Stephen being stoned. See uh, over here, there's Saul on the left-hand side, just kind of like this, and there's a bunch of garments. And once that was established, they took off their coats, then they started to pick up stones. So this wasn't just reactive, where people were like, oh, gee, I'm just saying, this was a response. They came with premeditation that this guy needs to be made in an example. We need to quench, we need to stop this Christian movement. And we're going to make him an example. So they throw his body in. He gets up, and then the pelting comes. But notice what Stephen does. He is the icon of Christ. He is the embodiment of Jesus. He does three things. Number one, Stephen's stoning shows courage from the stopping force. He doesn't try to climb out of the pit and go, wait, 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 I recant. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm anti-Jesus, anti-Jesus. No, 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 stop, stop. Oh. No, he doesn't do that. That's what he does on his knees. You heard the prayer. Second thing he does, he embodies Christ's message. He says, forgive them. He says, he received my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. There was an odd peace that happened after that statement. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say to the letter to Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In that moment, Stephen had already kind of came to the understanding is that my calling right now in this moment is to die for him. He didn't fight it. He said, there's a greater purpose here. Can I tell you a story? Short story. Here it is. And I've shared this. Crystal and I were walking home. We were in Maui. And we were coming home from one of our dates. Our date night was pr pretty simple. It was a bag of popcorn. And we would just go and sit on the beach. Microwave, microwaveable popcorn. Pop, pop, pop. Go there. Walking back to our little apartment. Caught my eye. I saw two Hawaiian brothers walking on the sidewalk. They were looking a ske sketchy, little, little devious. I didn't know what was the plan was. They, they obviously were a little, a little inebriated because they were kind of staggering and they were kind of talking and chuckling and, and there was one guy egging the other younger guy on. My, you know how the spider senses kick in? I don't know if that's training or whatever it is, but I say to my wife, move forward, go like, go forward, get, like get away from this. So I turn around, and this guy gets pushed into me, and the other guy's behind him yelling at the younger guy, hit him, just hit him. And I'm sitting there like, what's, what's happening here? What did I deserve to get hit? In Hawaii, if you're not Hawaiian, you're called a haole. It's, a, it's like the more derogatory word of pakiha. So he kept on yelling, hit the howley. So there's not a, a lot of things happening in our town. It's a small surf town on the North Shore. So I actually went into the middle of the street, 
and knelt down on my knees. And I looked at him and said, this is, this is not going to be good. In a moment of, of a Stephen-like posture, I said, every, I said to him, every time you hit me, I'll cry up more that Jesus loves you. And he's like, I don't know what to do here. And the other guy's just egging him up, hit him, just hit him. And I said, do what you need to do. I whispered, I said, hit me so you could be free. Hit me so that you could regain face or credibility with your friend. Just, if you need to do it, do it. I can take it. But God, just know that every time you hit me, God loves you even more. He's like, oh, like, it was almost like, don't tell me that stuff, man. And we don't have a lot of cops on our island, but just then, a cop came down the street. And they're like, 5-0, and they just booted. And I said to the guy, as he's kind of doing this, like, deer caught in the headlights, going, what do I do? I said, run. Run. I got you. Police came and had a conversation with me and said, who was that? I said, I don't know. What was he up to? I don't know. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Can you want to file a report? No. Nope. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that moment of weird, odd peace, the church experienced some of the first stoppable movement. If you guys look at your text now, let's jump to 8. 8, 1 to 3. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And there were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. In other words, they mourned his loss. But Saul was ravaging the church. More on that word later. And entering house after house, what did he do, Amak? He dragged men and women and committed them to prison. And trust me, those Roman prisons were not kind. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Join me. Acts 9. But Saul still, what? breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters. In other words, give me legal rights to do what I'm about to do. Give me names, because I want to go to Damascus. And if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's what they were called back then. They weren't called Christians yet. They were called people that belong to the way. I love that, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's a very long haul being bound through the desert. So that would probably end up killing them too. So here he was. He's, he's off. Look at this, uh, this map. It's not, it's not a very, uh, well, it is a quite a long thing. Here's Jerusalem. The blue line is to Damascus. There's some access to some water there. But it's still desert, the trip alone, bringing these bound Christians. This is just a death sentence. And this is what he was, remember, breathing threats. He's wreaking havoc. 
Here is a man bent on wanting to destroy not just the Stevens. We'll make an example of him, but we're going we're gonna to decimate this Christian movement. Verse 7, sorry, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, next picture, or when, when this happens, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to me, listen to the scripture. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. He was blinded. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to this street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Very specific. Because he needs specifics. Because here's what he's going to do. Behold, he's praying. And he is seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So there's means, method, and opportunity. There's, there's, there's like specific things that need to be done. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Remember the letters, the documents. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And this begins the series, Unstoppable. Let's start our sermon. <laughs> You're like, what? Come on. <laughs> the book of Acts the Acts, this Acts of Apostles, this book has been written to a guy named Theophilus. But it was also written for the whole wider church. But it was some specifics. Not so much Jews, but definitely believers and especially Gentiles. Who is the writer? Believe it or not, it's Luke. Luke was the writer of Acts. Who is Luke? Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Part-time missionary. A very close friend of Paul. He was a Gentile, and in other words, he was a non-Jew. He was a reliable historian. He did the work to investigate and do a, a great job of completing, interviewing people about the story of the Acts of Apostles. Like, not like the Trump administration, he fact-checked things and made sure that everything that was being reported was true. Didn't <laughs> When was this written? Probably around the early 60s of AD. Paul was still alive and in prison in Rome, which is 62 AD, 
But there was no evidence in the book of Acts of his death, which was around 64 to 67 AD. It was relatively peaceful writing about Rome. So if you look at the whole book of Acts, Romans or the, the person in the book of, of who the Roman people were, they were peaceably written. Not because as soon as Nero show, the emperor Nero shows up, severe persecution happens at around 64 AD. So that's how we know it's in the 60s. 60s AD. <laughs> A church is now scattered. Pockets of people gathering all over the place, but still spreading. We are a pocket of people. The church is still spreading here in Christ Church. This is the church right here. Though we are gathered, but we are scattered. And the death of Stephen gives urgency to the anti-Christian movement. Saul wreaks what? Havoc. The Greek word here is called lomainomai, laminomai, and it literally means brutal cruelty. i give you a word picture. Here's how brutal cruelty was for Saul. It was like if you took a wild boar and let him ravage a vineyard, just with no premeditation, no kind of order. It was a complete ravaging of defenseless grapes. That's what Saul was doing to the Christian church. But Saul, still breathing these threats, this is, his, this is all that he knows. He wants to destroy the people of the way. Number one, why Saul was persecuting Jesus. But Jesus says, he goes, you're persecuting me. But wait a second, let's ask the bigger question. Who is he persecuting? The church. Aha, theological number one. So when Jesus says, you're persecuting me, you're actually persecuting the Jesus inside of you. That's a big deal for Jews and Gentiles to understand that, wait a second, I'm not just persecuting a bunch of Christians. I'm actually persecuting the Jesus that lives inside of every single person. That's why Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? So therefore, I am the church and the church is me. We are one and the same. This would have been diametrically opposite to Roman and Greek worship. You would go to an Aphrodite idol and you would put some flowers and burn some incense or you cut an animal. You would be able to say that, that God lives over there. But now Jesus is saying, I am in my people. This was groundbreaking. And just like the story I mentioned about the two Hawaiian boys needing to beat me up in the middle of the street. People, for some unknown reason, haters are going to hate. You're going to have people that, were, that will mock you for your faith. They're going to say things that are just like hurtful. They're mean. They'll make fun of your, your Easter service. It actually says in Scripture, the cross is what? foolishness for those that don't believe. For us, it's the very power of God for salvation. Matthew 5, 10, 11 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
So when that happens, in that moment when these guys were wanting to beat me up, I don't know why, but I just immediately found, this is a blessing. Thank you, Lord. I don't know how this is all going to pan out, but your ways are not my ways. I'm just going to do what Stephen did, to get on my knees and say the stuff that I said. And it completely diffused the whole situation. There will always be haters that are going to hate. There will always be people that are thinking that what you do is absolute foolishness. I remember someone saying to a Crystal and I when we were in the mission field, when you're done gallivanting around the world, maybe you could get back here and come back home and get a real job. <laughs> what are you talking about? Here I am, here we are, we're in people groups in Nepal that have never even heard the word Jesus yet. Tell me if you've had that experience. You go up to this Nepalese group, this village, and you say, have you heard of Jesus? What is a Jesus? You're like, oh, this is like brand new snow, never been trodden upon. Here I am, I'm going to tell you the Christmas story, because that's what it is. There was, there's a story of the incarnation. But when I come back and our, our supporters, our even family say, when you're done gallivanting around the world, maybe you come back here and get a real job. That is my real job. That is the job of all jobs for me, isn't it? To preach the gospel to an unreached people group, that gives me the shakes. Wouldn't it? It should be good for you. You're like, to people who have never heard Jesus you're telling them the gospel. It was powerful. Knowing that Jesus knows them and his will and his timing appear to them on the road to Damascus. He will shine his unescapable and unstoppable, his penetrating light. And he what? Lovingly challenges blind Saul to a place of conviction but not of shame. Notice that. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn Saul. How dare you, you insignificant maggot? He doesn't do that. You'd think a, a vengeful, wrathful God would like smite him and you'd be burning and be like, ah, like no. He blinds him and says, look, I need you to focus in, man. Because I love you. And I what? And what does he do? He speaks destiny into him. How many other gods on the world and the planet speaks destiny? through conviction. All the other gods are shame and condemnation. I'm going to make you feel horrible and terrible, and you're going to approach God like, oh, God, please. Oh. God's just like, he loves you so, so much. And it's not out of shame, but it's out of conviction. He's like, I got such awesome plans for you. Turn so you don't burn. Because where you're going, John, is, it's, it's, gonna, it's just hell. It's going to be the worst thing for your life and for your soul. But I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to show my unescapable, unstoppable, penetrating light. I'm going to pour into you in that moment. Knock you off your horse. Show the, show the picture, Robert. I'm going to knock you off the horse. And this, this posture is, is just like, wah! He's just like enamored. It's like in this posture, this is... This is not the posture of a winner. This is the posture of someone that's surrendered. And that should be your posture this morning, folks. Jesus doesn't do this to Saul. He doesn't condemn him and put him shame. And for those men that try to attack me, 
Neither did I. It was an invitation for mercy. It was an invitation to show Arohala the love of God. Did I have every right to like, come on, bro, let's dance? <laughs> yeah, I could have. Be like, this is not going to go well. Meet John Thwaites. And like, I'm like, I'm not going to two tickets to the gun show. I could have easily said that. And, and it would have been terrible. But it was an invitation to show mercy and grace and love. Number two, Sini Ruokiri taught us the other day that there will be a move of God that might be in a way that, that we're not wanting or maybe we're not ready for. Maybe a move or a ministry, a person that God that will God will use, and it maybe it just doesn't fit our mold. Look at Ananias. He had to listen to specific instructions. There's going to be a guy from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's blind. You're going to go lay your hands, and he's going to be this oracle, my my herald for the gospel. And even Ananias is like, really, seriously, that guy? Anyone else but that guy, right? Can you imagine, like, as he brings him into his house later on in the text, you imagine going through his clothes, like, you know, let me see what you got, and pulling out the papers from the Sanhedrin. He may have got a paper with Ananias' name on it, going, oh my gosh, you were supposed to, I'm supposed to be dragged to Jerusalem. Well, what's that noise? Nothing, nothing. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's all good. Under Jesus. Can we obey the Lord? Can we take in something that God might be using that might be out of our framework? Well, I would say here you have. Because I'm here. You hired a Canadian that doesn't sound like you. I don't. I, I, I can't. I, I, I can go, yes, I can do that. But then you guys go, that's weird. But you do it all the time. You don't even know. Yes. I'm like, it's a Cantabrian yes. But I'm, a, I'm, not a, I, I'm getting there, but I don't know what a C3 is. I don't understand half of the denominations that you guys have. That's cool. I don't know what an Elam is or any of that kind of stuff. This is fine. But you had to take a risk. You had to go, are we hearing God in hiring this guy? Because you could have stayed safe and said, no, hire the Kiwi dude. Hire him. That, he's comfortable. He's good. We know him. He's got... But you took a risk. When I got saved at the, at the ranch, I shared you my testimony. I was smoking and drinking, and I was a horrible pagan mess. And I was there at that staff retreat, and I was, you know, handing in my application and seeing all the Christians do their dancing and singing, and we're all staring at some screen. Back then, it was an overhead projector. You remember those days where people are sliding those sheets and singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. And at camp, there were action songs. I'm so glad, Phil, you don't teach us action songs. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. I'm watching this happen. I'm going, if this is Christianity, oh, what am I up for? But God was always saying, almost my road to Damascus saying, what have you got to lose? Because... You don't have anything to lose. Your life is horribly messy. 
But if you trust me, you will have everything. Sound familiar? Prodigal son, the father saying to the older son, everything you see is yours. Meanwhile, back in the back room, the executive director for our camp, Mike Kinger, is getting bombarded by other people, other Christians saying, this is a bad hire. Oh boy, is it a bad hire. He's not even a Christian. He's smoking at the fire pit near the chapel. This is bad hire, Mike. What are you doing? He's, every second word is the F word. He can't work at camp. Maybe you should take him to the inner city. That's a better fit. Mike, with, with fervor, with, with belief in God and the Holy Spirit, he's like, nope. I just feel like we got to hire this guy. I, are you a Saul? Have you been that black sheep? I have. Did you, or maybe you're an Ananias. Maybe you have to be like going, I got to, man, this guy's a lot of work. This Ken Shibusawa, this guy's a ton of work. But I just see something in this guy. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to start investing into him. And other people are like, man, that Ken guy, he's just like absorbs. Like it's just so much heavy work. But you just go, no, 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 wait, man. Like Ken, like I see diamonds in the rough. I got to invest. Yeah, exactly. Ah. (laughs) And Mike made that play. And he and his wife, Lori, were like, Adam, stop asking me about John. He's getting hired. Deal with it. And Ananias has a moment with, with the Holy Spirit going, really? This guy? I tell you. Later on, the Apostle Paul ends up sharing in Philippians that he's like this Hebrew Hebrews. He's circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel. Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrew, the law, a Pharisee, to zeal, a persecutor of the church. But then he says this in Philippians. He says, but whatever I gain, I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Saul's CV, his resume is super impressive. He can utilize all this and leverage himself into conversations with Jews and Gentiles. But there are no longer his status anymore. He is a follower of Jesus. He is humble, he's teachable, He's leadable. He's a partner. And nothing of his past will stop the furthering of God's gospel. So I'm going to invite the the band to come up. Challenge us with some prayer. Or maybe this morning as you're praying, you are an Ananias. And you have to expand your idea that God can use Saul's. God can use certain ministries or movements in a a greater capacity for the kingdom than, than what you thought it would be. So maybe you need to lay down that old flame to pick up God's new torch. And maybe you're just, as you just changed your name, maybe you were an unbeliever, And you recently just became a believer, a follower of Jesus this morning.
If you've made that decision, it's the, it is the party in heaven. And we celebrate, we celebrate you becoming a follower of Jesus this morning. It's going to be a challenge. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of journey with you. I don't think you're going to be experiencing altercations in the middle of the road with guys that want to beat you up. I don't think that might, but it might. But is your life saying, I live for Christ? Are you living for Christ this morning? Where is your contentment come for? What do you live for? You are this amazing thing, people called the church and I look at your faces and the first thing I see is you are unstoppable you are unstoppable thanks for listening to this week's message to learn more about our church visit c3chch.org